Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories? This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Award-winning journalist, mum to three school-aged kids, an activist for women and girls' rights, today's guest is a force to be reckoned with. Martine Hart has had her work featured in some big networks, including CNN, BBC, ABC, The Age, News Limited, and is a regular commentator on Sky News Australia. She's also the director of a platform for social good called Engaging Women. She's on a mission to challenge thinking about feminism and the role that men can play in this conversation. In this episode, Martine shares publicly how disempowering run-ins with high-profile men during her time as a television reporter sharpened her resolve to spark change. Some of what Martine shares is confronting and important to share, particularly in line with the Me Too movement. What we know is that when we own and share our stories, shame dissolves. This is part of Martine's story, and if it brings up any questions or stories for you, know that you can reach out to the Now Australia organisation. In this conversation, Martine also challenges us to bench the idea that life is running out to achieve our dreams or life purpose. There is time. And she's a voice that you will be keen to keep following. So soak up the wisdom and the warmth that is Martine Hart. Martine, it is such a delight to have you in studio. Oh, it's fantastic to be here, Ali. Thanks Finally, so much. we've been <laughs> finally got it together. Trying I think to get it together. Yeah, started talking about um, meeting up back in Uluru, didn't we? Yes, yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. Mm. But the timing is always perfect, of course. That's it. You've had such a fascinating career, and you've been a television reporter, an award-winning kind of journalist. I'd love you to just tell me what was it like that first time that you were in front of a camera and it went to air. Can you remember what that experience is like and what was going through your mind? Very vividly because I guess it was um, a first-time experience for me. I remember um, being completely racked with nerves, um, feeling like, you know, everything that I w- was saying was wrong, um, the way my voice sounded was wrong. Um, and I remember the cameraman at the time being really, really encouraging and telling me to just, you know, just just go for it and to just be myself. Um, but it was, it, you know, being in front of the camera is one of those things, like everything else, that uh, practice makes perfect. And it's only when you um, put yourself out there and give it a go that you'll you'll be able to improve and you'll be able to to compare notes with other people and um, and each time, you know. Be, become more and more comfortable with yourself. Yeah, so that was terrific. The first time, you, you know, this was this was before um, the disruption of the media industry, the disruption of the traditional media industry. So before iPhones, before, you know, smartphones. Um, so, so it was only through the television. Only through the television. <laughs> so we only had in Australia, you know, we had um, Network 10, 7, 9, ABC and, the, and SBS, and that was pretty much it. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of, you know, having one of these jobs back then was, it was really desirable, particularly for women, because you could, you know, be seen, um, you could be appreciated for your mind, um, which was something that, you know, I found very compelling. Um, and yet it was still fast paced and, um, you, you felt like you're on the cusp of change and, 
Um, so it was a great time um, to be to be a journalist. And were you always fascinated in journalism? Was that always going to be the career path for you? Very much. And I think, you know, just how it, it, it is for, you know, young women and young girls today, it was because I was absorbing messages from all these, you know, rock star um, women that I would see um, on TV or I would, I would read about um, in, in the newspapers. Um, so I would just look at them and think, wow, you know, this, this woman's, there are, there are people of all demographics and there are men and, and women of all ages and little kids who are actually listening to her. You know, isn't that fascinating? It doesn't necessarily happen all the time. So I want to be like that. So you could see a platform. Yes. For very, a voice. Yeah. Very much, very much. And had that started, that started early for you? Yeah, it did. So um, my um, family background, so my dad was um, a, a member of parliament at the time. So back then, it, every single day, the journalists of the day would call up at seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't unusual for me as a little tiny kid to be receiving a, a phone call from one of Australia's most foremost journalists, um, you know, <laughs> Michelle Grattan. There you go. I know. <laughs> or it might be, a, you know, a, a prime minister of the time or um, was several times, Paul Keating, crazy. Um, <laughs> to think of it now, it's crazy. Um, there was uh, Heather Hewitt, um, uh, you know, Yana Vent. So all, all these all these types of women. Um, I... Wanting to talk to your dad, which would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of wasn't really that interested in what he had to say. No, no one is when you're six. (laughs) I remember he'd put um, them on speakerphone and I'd just be listening to the questions. Yeah, listening to all the questions and how um, the conversation would be framed and and that kind of thing. What are your fondest memories of of, uh, that television journalism kind of times? Oh, there are so many. You know, it's... It does, it's not necessarily the superstars that, that just popped into my mind then when you asked that question. Of course, there are many. Um, so, oh, geez, Olivia Newton-John, Richard Branson, um, the Lord of the Rings cast, Orlando Bloom, Liv Tyler, um, uh, um, you know, Olympic gold medalists, um, the Israeli prime minister, prime ministers, treasurers, all, all sorts of people. But I just have really great memories of the 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 everyday, if you like, I don't even know if I want to use that term, but the everyday Australians that I'd meet and I'd get really obsessed and fascinated with their stories and I would kind of, you know, after the camera was switched off or, you know, um, you know when, when the, the story had rolled on, I'd still keep in touch with these people and want to find out about their lives and I'd, you know, I've got letters and cards and so it was those sorts of um, relationships that I really valued. That um, connection of a real, yeah, real story yeah, and the and people behind them. That's it. And I remember one time when um, after my eldest daughter was born, you know, the first um, uh, person that sent flowers into the hospital, it was, it was one of those people who I met wow. through that time. And I've never forgotten that. That was, it, you know, it wouldn't have been very easy for them to have collected that money to do that. And I just... Oh, you know, it's acts like that that just mm. uh, really propel me and give me so much faith in how good people can be. What do you think it is about the relationship or the connection that you have with, I guess, because it, it's something about that that's created a connection very quickly. Mm. There's a level of trust that must be in place from them. In I, a way. I think, and I don't want to sound, please don't, you know, I'm not Disneyland about the whole world. I am not. 
Um, but I am very glass half full. And when I see someone, I see potential and goodness. And you know, <laughs> I know it sounds, you know, um, a little bit rose coloured. Oh, sometimes we need more of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm always, for, for, I'm not the judge, you know, for, of, of anything. I'm not the judge of anyone's story. So I always came at everything with a, a clean slate, if you like. So I gave the person the opportunity to tell me their, um, what their version of their story was or what their, their values are or where they would like to see themselves in, in 10 years' time. I, so possibly that. I actually haven't thought about that before until mm. just now, so thank you. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I imagine there's an intimacy that's created yes. in those spaces. Yeah. For some of those big names that you mentioned, mm. um, what are the ways that you or what are some of the t- tips and tricks for preparing for some of those yeah. with the interviews? Yep. Um, research. Yep. Um, but also always try and come at come at everything from a point of difference. So come at it, come at everything. So whatever you you perhaps look up in your search engines about somebody, you know, if if it's someone really high profile, they have obviously been asked that question so many times before. So try and find a different point of entry. Everyone likes to be surprised. Everyone likes to have something emerge about themselves due to someone else's influence or interest or curiosity. So I guess, um, yeah, try and come at it from a different perspective. I often, when I meet people, I say, you know, what, what have you never been asked about before that you would finally like a platform um, to, to speak on? Now, that, that might be, you know, a politician when they're thinking about policy or or a creative person when they're thinking about their next role or whatever it might be, but that's always a good one as well. Um, I love that question, Justine, even in everyday life or in yeah. workplaces, right? Like if there were more leaders asking yeah. their team that question, what's what's something that you've never been asked before yeah. but you would love to, a platform to talk about? Mm. I think, and, you know, we, we hear a lot a lot now about the new work order and how different it is, particularly for the next generation, which I know you think about and I think about making life a little bit, you know, easier to pave their way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously digital literacy, but it's also creativity, you know, thinking about outside the box, connections that you have with other people, um, your ability to network will be more important than ever before in this new work order. So always thinking creatively is such a important skill. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's stepping into, yeah, what's new, what's different, yep. what's that unknown. Yep. Um, but I love that tact of a new way of approaching something. Yes, so if it is someone very famous, you also you also work out, okay, what's the issue of the day? So and you, you, find, you can find that out by what's trending on, on Twitter or whatever it might be. Um, and so find, okay, what's the issue of the day? How can that they add that something to that particular conversation? And that will also give you more um, opportunity of, a, of, you know, your story being heard by more people because it's more relevant. So you're always con- concentrating on relevance of the story and relevance of the questions that you're asking as well. Have you ever had a situation, because I think one of the um, the values of journalism is also challenging yeah. um, people. Have there, has there ever been a time where you have kind of challenged and maybe had some pushback or, oh, or what yeah. that experience has been like? Yeah, I mean, that was... what. Uh, can't think of who you, I can attribute the quote to, but, you know, news 
it is some, something that somebody somewhere will want to suppress, you know. Um, and we're seeing it just play out in so many ways right now in the States. And for me, we're seeing why it is so crucial that the respect for integrity field journalists who are, who are know how to research and have high integrity when it comes to all the decisions that they make and, you know, protecting sources and making sure that their facts are correct and all their sources are well qualified. This is more important than ever before. Um, it's we need to uh, elevate the people who are doing it well and make sure that we are um, still, you know, clicking on their stories and things because otherwise we're getting very misguided by fake news and we're constantly having our own feelings reinforced, which is really bad for democracy. What do you think we need to be looking out for? Because the more I scratch the surface of that, the more, mm. the more scared I get. Yeah. And so not to kind of put fear into people, but from your perspective, I really like that idea of, you know, the integrity of the industry, uh, the sources and their credibility. And, yep. and we can do a quick um, Google search ourselves. I think it's sort of we can yep. take ownership on some of that as well yes. rather than perpetuating or forwarding something without maybe even doing our own kind of back check. Is there anything else that we could be doing or looking out for? Yes, some of the smartest minds in the world will make sure that part of their feed or part of the news which is delivered to their inbox ha is oppositional to what they believe. So it, these may be very left-wing thinking people, um, but they will make sure that some of the right um, thinking is being delivered into their inbox. And that's how you make sure that you're across the spectrum of thought. Um, okay, so even just looking at your feed and going, am I, am I even just seeing the other side, even if I'm not agreeing with it or yes. it's not my take? We're I'm not meant to agree with everything. We're not meant to. We're meant to. We can only um, spark transformation within ourselves when we're thought when, when our thought processes go in different directions. Um, there's a wonderful um, global, actually, website called um, theconversation.com.au, and that's where all the issues of the day are explored by academics. So really, you know, people who are really um, experts in their field on specialist topics, and that's, I always dip, I dip in, in and out of that every day, so I, a little bit of that, and then I'll, I might go to some of my friends who are in, at the Australian or whatever it might be, who I know are just amazing journalists and have a really big moral compass, um, and then I even dip into the ones that I know are going to drive me crazy and have my eyes rolling to the back of my head. Because <laughs> At least they know what they're talking about. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's, on, what's on their agenda or That's what's it. going on for them. That's right. Yeah. So you describe yourself as someone who's a bit of a glasses high fool, who sees the potential in, in a whole range of people. Um, unfortunately, you've had some pretty tough experiences in the journalism world mm. um, at, at the hand of, unfortunately, um, that what's a very male-dominated kind of area. Mm -hmm. What are what sort of impacts has some of those experiences had on you? Mm. You know, I, I just have so much respect for the women who are part of um, the Me Too movement, the Times Up movement, um, our our national movement. Um, now, um, I just think these women are so courageous and so brave and it's we are part of a huge wave of change if we can't even see it now you wait to see the legacy that that this era has on future generations it's going to be huge when you look through the eyes of history um my my situation is is something that 
you know, I didn't really feel, I've never really felt the need to talk about it before because it wasn't as overt, if you like, as some of the hideous things that were happening to um, some of some of the others. But, you know, I look back now and I think to myself, would I like um, my daughters or my friend's daughters who had trained really hard and studied um, to become journalists, to be entering a respected profession, would I want them to go through what I went through? And I thought, no. So that's why I thought, you know, it, I would... Um, I'm happy to talk about it now. So one of one of the um, cases was in relation to the Chappelle Corby case. So I was covering that for um, Network 10. I was very thrilled to be at the time because all the other networks had um, the the male big guns of their networks who were, you know, probably a decade older than me at the time and great, really great reporters who I respected and thought, wow, these guys are amazing. There were several amazing um, women reporters as well who were writing for different publications and um, working for the networks as well. Again, I just thought, oh, so glad to be here. Um, and so I really, really worked my butt off, you know, to do, to do the best I can to stay on top of the story and present it from both sides. You know, the whole nation at the time was transfixed with this and we had all sorts of... Um, Every day there was something else that became a, it became a bit of a circus, but I was trying to hold everybody to account and re- report it as much as I could. And I was invited to um, have a, an interview with a, what, the Indonesian lawyer who came in at the, at the very last minute, Chappelle Corby's lawyer. Um, um, so I went, went into his office. It was all very you know, interesting. Um, had lots of mementos around, lots of photographs and things. So I was talking to him about that. I sat across from him as I'm sitting across from, from you now. And I couldn't help but notice he had this humongous diamond on his hand. Humongous. You, you cannot help but talk, mention this. And he does talk about it in media interviews and things. So I just said, wow, that's amazing. And he says to me, oh, this is worth, you know, a lot of money. It's worth a lot of money. Okay. Fair enough. That's good. So let's talk about. Um, the Indonesian case. So we did and the, the interview was wrapped and all good, shake hands, goodbye. And then I went back to um, my hotel and then a couple of hours later um, I had a phone call from one of the um, Stringer cameramen who was employed by our network to um, to work on, on their behalf and he says to me, Martine, mate, I've got something, I've got something for you, mate. I'm thinking it must be in relation to the story. And you know what? You, you expect that. You're often going out at 11 o'clock at night when you're on these kind of stories. Yes. That's right. That's right. And he says, now, mate, before I, before I go into it, I just want, I just want to say, mate, this is the kind of thing that can set someone up for life. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? And he said, um, so, mate, I know plenty of others who have said yes to this just before I let you know, and I still had no idea genuinely what path he was going to go down. And he said, I just got a call and he said that if you invite him into your hotel room that you will get in exchange that his diamond ring. Now, you know, wow. <laughs> you, you feel like laughing. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I felt... At the time, I just said, oh, you've got to be joking. You know, I, I look back and I think hashtag, I should make up my own hashtag, movie, yeah. but hashtag is he for real? Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> is this guy for reals? Yeah. Um, but there was, that, that was just one example of, I have many examples of different sorts of high-profile men that 
you know, this is me before I, I was married, before children, you know, me in my 30s. Um, and even was in my 20s. there a debate in the head, like as much as it was no way, yeah. not at all, was mm. there a bit of what would this mean to the network? No. Like what? No, 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 no absolutely no. not. No. And, and isn't it wonderful to have Great. that kind of <laughs> yeah. industry, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think but, it's the cameraman as well. Like it's like what, what, what perpetuates that? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and but it was also I just kind of wanted it to go away. I certainly wasn't of the um, personality type that I wanted to make myself part of the story. Mm. You know, we were very much trained before um, the rise of digital media that it was always just about the subjects and you you really didn't really commentate or anything along those lines. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of stay out of it. So I let it go and, you know, a week weeks later I've, I'm getting emails from this man <laughs> from The Secret Admirer. And all this sort of thing. Um, please do not get married. You will ruin my hope. And I'm just, you know, I just think, I, look, I realised that was a, a circus situation in another culture, um, but it, it, there were many instances like that. Another time when in my 20s I was, um, I was, it was a policeman and I was asked, um, I was told I was going to be getting a really big story and so I, I went along and I was told, um, you know, where we could meet. And these meetings would happen probably once every month and I'd never get the story. And I was waiting for the story. I, I, in retrospect, I was very naive. Um, but he, nothing, it didn't sort of, he didn't cross the line um, in any way. Um, apart from at the very end when he suggested, well, given we were already at the Hilton, maybe we should go upstairs. And that's when the penny just dropped. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, I think it's best we go our, our separate ways. And I remember telling some of the, you know, the bosses at the time. And they, in, to, to be fair, they'd say, don't go anywhere near him. There's no story that's worth any kind of compromise, which I knew. But I wasn't, I was very, I was kind of the type of journalist that didn't put out any cues. I was very serious about my job and being respected and, um, so I, I think it's, um, it's such a shame. It's, yeah. And I think what you're kind of really scratching at the surface of is, is the undercurrent of this culture that, as you said before, it's not something that probably even needed a platform or a statement other than, um, you know, so bizarre male counterparts aren't facing this kind exactly. of, Good and point. I think that's yeah, probably part of the issue as well is actually yes. yes it was bizarre and and as much as you go naivety again that's what I hope the next generation has right and like that's why, please <laughs> yes and that's why the work that's happening at the moment it's just shining light into those dark corners and you know they say that, that sunlight is the greatest disinfectant and it's true because it's it's changing social norms um you know one of one of the other men was Gene Simmons from Kiss <laughs> Now, I know that people would almost expect that that's the way right. that he would behave, right? And it's all, and it's all part, it's part of the act. <laughs> that's it. But, you know, if after the interview you're getting a little a little letter arriving at the, at the news desk inviting you to um, somewhere that night, I just, find, I just think, I think as a society we, we really need to rethink how we make young, young women feel. And we need to 
you know, women who might be in a different stage of their career as, as I am now, um, as the likes of the amazing Tracy Spicer is with the work that mm-hmm. she's doing, it's about, you know, giving women a, a safe space and making them feel supported so that they can talk about it and then, and then um, everybody can work through it together. I think what's really key and even, um, you know, now sharing some of your own stories and those kind of experiences and adding to that conversation is that it is a conversation. Yes. And and it is that let's ask the question around is this okay or not? <laughs> is this, it's, you know, it's not about um, banning everything or um, that there's not attractions that can happen. Of course, yeah. In, you know, I think, and women are okay with that. Mm. We get that, mm. right? Mm. Um, but I think, and I was only listening to a thing, I think even Oprah this week was talking to someone around it, but it's about the power that um, and the power differential that can be in place or what's inferred yes and the situations and that's what's hard mm. and it's about you know women feeling like they're they're in this position and they should be grateful and we should be grateful because we've got this amazing job and there are other people who would you know would like the job at the same time um, but we don't have to feel grateful if you've worked hard for something forget feeling grateful for um, something that you've you have worked long and hard to achieve, um, yeah, it, it, it's a complex one. It's funny. My my husband often says that Trump has been a great thing for men because he said it's he's and he's a has a feminist mind himself. He has a very strong um, Irish mother um, who brought her sons up to respect women, and that's certainly not a problem. But he said listening to Trump makes him realize. Um, how, you know, how easy it is for men to make certain mistakes and how, you know, it's every man's job to try and push back and call it out as well. Mm. What do you, what do you think has got to shift both for men to kind of bring, bring mm. voice to that conversation for the next generation? Okay, I think it's about all of us working together. I think, I think it's about um, changing social norms because you can't have, you can have every, everything enshrined in legislation. And we've seen that. We've, in, in our country, we've had the Sexual Discrimination Act um, since the 80s. Um, we've had many, many things enshrined in legislation, but until it becomes part of the, the social norm, um, the social narrative, and we changed, change cultures, um, we're not going to see any change. We know that now. They, the, the wonderful women who we are now standing on the shoulders of from the 70s, those activists, they probably didn't know that then, but they're probably realising that now. Um, so h- how do we do that? We, we, uh, it, we acknowledge the contribution that people have made in, in the institutions that we've got right now and, um, and in society, and we acknowledge that that was great for a time, but we share stories and show them what what's ha- what hasn't worked and what's wrong and we try and show them a better way forward. And how do we do it? You're doing it right now, Ali, by these conversations. Um, you know, I did it, you know, a couple of weeks back when um, I was giving input to the Victorian government's, you know, first ever conference on, on gender equality and next week, you know, another one um, with... Um, the federal government, again, just giving input. So it's all about that. But it's not just you don't have to be in any position. Um, it is everyday stuff and every single one of us can be this powerful um, impetus of change. 
um, as long as it's done with love. So if, for example, you're seeing, um, if, you're, if you, you've chosen to be a parent and you're, you know, doing the school run and you may, um, you know, constantly be um, seeing someone who's always telling their son off or crying maybe um, or telling their son to toughen up around the sports field, um, I would suggest, you know, never go at it like a, you know, a strong. <laughs> Shouldn't be doing that. Right? <laughs> waving, need to cry. waving your feminist credentials in yeah. their face. But there are so many other, again, it comes back to that creativity. There are so many other creative things, ways to come into a topic, you know, and I, and I think it's um, asking them if they may have seen that, you know, that documentary that was on at one point with the sportsman who said that he was never able to show emotion and how that had um, stuffed him up, you know, later on in life. So things like that that are going to make people think differently, not think that they're doing something wrong because people only know what they know. And we've all got our own blind spots. I think that's my realisation as well as we come in it with love and curiosity. So, oh, isn't that interesting? Might there be another way? Um, I think I remember Elizabeth Gilbert actually saying mm. that we often think about feminism and, and pioneering of kind of women's rights is being that 60s and 70s. Mm. And yet um, we are at the forefront of it. Like, And we haven't done it before. <laughs> We've never had gender equality in organisations. It's it's never happened. Um, and so it'll happen, absolutely. I have a fundamental belief it will, but we're at the forefront mm. of that. So we're all figuring it out. We are part of this massive, way. like how exciting is that? We are we are part of this wave that hasn't happened since, well, it was post-war, but it's the biggest wave in, in forever in history. Feminism is the, is the most successful human rights movement of all time. Look at look how, how far we've progressed. Um, getting back to your question before, it is about bringing the men f- forward and it is about the relationships and the personal stories. So it's so effective when you explain something to someone within the context of how it'll affect the women within their own family. Because we all get um, emotionally involved when it's about our own families or friends or loved ones or people we respect. So that's why the, you know, telling stories and it might be someone saying... Um, well, for me, you know, that's what it was like for me when I was mm. in country television or or at a network, this is what happened to me. And then, you know, one person might hear it and think, well, you know, I don't want that to happen to my daughter who wants to have a different career or, or to one of my staff members. And that's how change happens. How do I ask the questions? How do I support them yep. along the way? Yep. Obviously, this is such a passionate area and so much so that you've created a platform mm. called Engaging Women uh, and really committed to that. Tell me a little bit about Engaging Women. What is it? How yep. can people interact with it? Okay. So, you know, it is, it's fascinating, isn't it? It started off, I was um, with uh, baby number three and I knew I wasn't going um, back into the newsroom immediately. Um, and I was thinking I just craved some of the things that I used to um, be able to receive on a daily basis through through journalism. Um, and so I was thinking I, I was looking around and I could find nothing like I wanted to see in the space. This is a while this is a while back. This is before the corporates. <laughs> And PR companies and marketing companies realise the value of the women's yes, dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so I, I loved what I was seeing. Um, you know, people like uh, 
business chicks, Emma Isaacs, and now Olivia Rollo and um, Mia Friedman. I, I loved what I was seeing there. But I wanted to see, um, you're the CEO of a single mother's association, a scientist, um, a physicist, a sports person. I wanted to ask them questions that they're not normally asked. I didn't want to box them in categories. I didn't want to put them assigned to an age, you know, or whether they did or didn't have children and why they did or didn't make that choice or anything along those lines. So I wanted to have kind of a fresh take. Now, in the very beginning, because it was new, the advertisers came flooding in really fast and I just made a decision not to go down down that track and I was always unsure as to whether that was a wise decision. Um, looking back, for me, it was a great decision because obviously this um, online digital world changes 24-7 with all its, you know, promise and peril um, and it's constantly evolving and you can't lock yourself into anything. So had I, have, you know, sort of gone down that um, advertising monetary hits model, I would have. it would be a very different beast to what it is today. So that's very nice. Um, so originally it was a, you know, advocacy platform, um, through publishing, mentoring, and then very quickly it became about women you know, connecting with other women, um, whether it be me hooking them up or them hooking up through through engaging women. Then some of the big corporates started to pay attention and ask me um, at the time, this is probably already an outdated term, but to you know fly to Sydney and be on the Influentials program. And it just was really interesting just how it all evolved. Um, and then... I think the first request for me to MC came in. And so I found myself, you know, with a young baby back at the National Press Club in Canberra MCing events. And I never did that as a journalist. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it opened up other doors and opportunities for you. Yeah. So I didn't really know where it was going or what it was going to be. And then fast forward till now, you know, it, there are, it, it has some input in in um, policy and all sorts of things. And and um, it's fascinating how that whole thing about just doing something and, um, you know, witnessing how something that you've created and something that you've nurtured and, and something that you've really loved, um, you know, how that can has been able to spark change. And I think everyone can do that. <laughs> I love it. And I guess I want to dive into in particular because, I mean, what you're describing is almost starting something, sparking something creative, but without knowing what it was going to be mm. or where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. And that can feel really counterintuitive to the advice we might give a best friend if they were to start something. It's like, well, what's it going to be and who's your audience? And what's yeah. and we almost need to have it well planned out before we start. Yeah. Um, and yet I think I think it is a new era for, for things to get out there, but that's hugely courageous mm. to actually start something without knowing what it's going to be or evolving mm. as it goes. What's helped you along that way to to just kind of build it and see? Mm. I think I've always had faith in 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 the message behind it, and I've always uh, had faith that, that you know the the ideas that were behind it um, would find the ears that they were meant to find. Um, I think, yeah, I guess that sort of that sort of best describes it. Um, it's also don't forget, so it's something that you know I'm able to to use 
Um, and I integrate that with being a mother of three, still relatively young kids at primary school. So I've, 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 I integrate it. Um, there will be a point where I kind of put my foot on the accelerator with it even more. And I've got ideas about that, um, which probably will take more of the courage that you're talking about, um, in the next chapter. Cause I'm also fundamentally huge on the idea that we all have chapters and do not believe for a second that um, people, friends, <laughs> Ali's tribe, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that anything is over at 40, anything is over at 50, um, 60 or 70. Uh, you know, if you haven't, um, you know, people think not married at 40, terrible, you know, haven't got an award at 50, life's What's just... What's trying? Yeah, no <laughs> PhD or whatever. It, but don't, just throw all that out. Do not listen. It can be so restrictive and so paralysing and just bin it. I love that. you. Yeah, you even kind of had that concept of it's never too late. It's not. It's not. One of uh, the, the women that, who just swirls around in my mind all the time is a woman by the name of Dr Elizabeth Cameron Delman. So she founded Modern Dance in Australia in the 60s against the conservative forces at the time. So she was really out there um, and very spiritual and very smart. So when do you think she did her PhD? I'm going to go for 50. Late 70s. No, so good. <laughs> and um, when we were talking, she was dancing in Asia in her 80s and she was teaching, teaching people to dance in Asia in, in their 80s. So amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it's, we really, as a society in Australia, we really have to start putting this out there. This is a really important conversation. You know, when I was um, still on TV, or even recently at Sky News, um, you know, we just didn't see the ages who, who represent the people who are watching their programs. Why not? When I was at Channel 10, I remember going into the corner office. <laughs> bum, bum. <laughs> <Sitting> down. <laughs> and I had this whole plan and it was all printed out. Um, and I was advocating that um, the newsroom should be more representative. Now, I realise sitting in front of you, I'm exactly cookie, cookie cutter what you expect. <laughs> Less <laughs> me, more others. <laughs> but I'm saying I don't understand. This is because... Isn't it going to improve ratings? I don't understand. And I was using the example of a, a woman at the time who was who was very popular on another program who was a, well, she calls herself a, a plus-size woman. She was a, a body-confident woman. And I said, we need that yeah. because we need to feel represented. Um, and I still don't, un, I, I still don't feel that, you know, we only had this conversation with my kids and my husband last night watching. They are now avid fans of MasterChef. Yeah, good. <laughs> and they, we, we kind of had this realisation it's one of the most diverse oh. TV shows oh. around. I mean, is it something about food that just unites people or there's a level playing field? But it was really became apparent. And I went, wow, that's we don't see that kind of diversity in news in other TV shows, in other reality TV shows. It was just, yeah, it was just a realisation only just last night. Went, yeah, that's fascinating. That is because you're right. So there you go. 
ingredient more literally <laughs> yeah that's right more MasterChef more food I don't but, but, know what the but, answer but, you is you know hello um executives ingredient to success yes 10 years on um ingredient to success mm, and then the other side of that was how they've shifted from um and I think even the actual um chefs themselves were saying oh you know when it started we had to be the mean mean ones to actually almost tear people down that was part of our um than what we were told to do for good TV. And whereas now what we're doing is really celebrating amazing ideas and and new ways of doing things. And it's such a warm-hearted kind of show because of that. Um, So I think it does challenge, yeah, what's possible. But I love that thinking of we also need to challenge when it's possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's never, never too late. What's, what do you think the next chapter does have in store for you? Because at the moment kids are still in primary school mm. and, and that's still part of your chapter, but mm. do you have a bit of a glimmer or a bit of a taste of what that might be? Yeah, so, so you know, for many years I've, I've been doing sort of my own research, I guess, that will all feed into, you know, something at some point. But I, I'm in no rush and I um, feel like it's, it's, you know, years away. Um, so I guess because you do you start to get a little bit of your own intellectual property and have some ideas that may not have been explored um, over time. So I guess in the shape of a book possibly or recently I was asked, um, I was very humbled um, to be asked uh, to throw my head in the ring for two commercial radio gigs um, and the timing didn't feel right. But that was very nice to still be considered after... um, all these years, you know, they weren't banging my door down or anything, but it was very nice to be asked. Mm. Um, and that made me feel like um, I, I would like to be one of those people who at 70 and who at 80 is the person who's speaking on TV that we're talking about that's not that's um, non-existent at the minute. That's what I would like to happen. And I'd like to see you there too. Yeah, let's do it. I'm right there. There'll be some wild hair, some crazy earrings. I will be there. <laughs> we'll kill the ratings. <laughs> totally, totally. I can't cook, so yeah. it can't be a cooking show. That's all I can say. Um, yeah. With that sense of kind of sparking change, if there's someone listening going, I've had this inner desire but I just don't even know where to start, mm. what would you? What would be your words of wisdom or what would be your yeah. encouragement? Um, so there are... So many things. Um, so it's always if it, there's been that tapping, you know, sort of particularly late at night, you know, just before you fall asleep, um, listen to that voice and, and honour that person and, um, and try and explore what it is that person's been trying to tell you um, because it's how you draw in, draw in the good. It's how you draw in the light and you draw in the connections and you care less about you know, having the latest pair of shoes or whatever, I mean, it's still important, but, you know, you, you care less about all that when, you, when you're framing everything through doing something which has a, you know, contribution and makes a change and, and it can all be on a really small level. So what I would say is, number one, um, don't be afraid to claim your space in society. Don't be afraid to claim your space and have a voice. Now, um, fewer than one in four people that we hear hear from or we see in the media are women. It's un, it's just crazy to think that that's the case. Now, the onus is on us to shake it, to shake it up. Um, we and how can you do that? For example, if you're listening to commercial radio and there's a topic that's that's 
a specialty topic to you or even something that you're just interested in, we're often hearing the people who call in on, on talkback or the, per, the people who comment on um, digital or in traditional media, and they're the loud brush voices. They're the people who think that they know everything and they've got all the answers to the world. Well, don't let those people drown you out. You have your say as well. Do you know how many um, chief of staffs and editors and producers in newsrooms and I'm sure in online publications are waiting for stories? So contact them, find out how it is. It's on most on most websites, you can see how you can contribute your own story, right? It's probably easier now than it's ever been. Yes, because everyone's starved for content. Like back in my day, I remember, you know, we'd pick up the phone and we'd get story pitches all the time and everybody was picking and choosing, but now there's a real um, need for content. Um, put yeah, So put yourself forward, you know, put yourself on the expert lists because, because that's how the journalists and the communicators are going to get into, in touch with you. Um, the Which same, requires you to think of yourself like an expert. It does. Okay. It does. So it requires a healthy dose of self-belief and a healthy dose of confidence. Now, um, so there are so many organisations doing incredible work, particularly in this country, um, for, uh, you know, for so many causes that need to be addressed. Family violence is one. Homelessness um, is another. Um, so you can volunteer your time with one of these organisations. Um, I We have a program through Engaging Women called the Ambassadors for Good Program. And so what um, people can do is they can organise within their own little tribe, within their own community. They choose their own. Normally I, I ask for it to be a family violence um, organisation because that's an epidemic in our country. Mm. Um, and they choose... Uh, either at the at the policy end or at the shelter end, they they choose to raise some money on their behalf, or they find out what's needed and they raise money on that on their behalf. Now it's a win win situation because the the women who are involved in this, as a result, they get to know all these like minded people within their own community. Uh, I've seen with with one of the amazing young women in Queensland, um, Naomi Arnold. She has received publicity for herself. She's in the local newspaper. She had an article from her former university um, talking about what she was doing. So she wasn't necessarily seeking that in the beginning, but that's how it presented itself because uh, it took on a life of its own. People are looking for examples of Australian women helping, elevating, shaping, supporting Australian women. The ones at the policy end who are doing all the hard work, the incredible Elizabeth Broderick and I've got a list, I could name them all if you like, um, they're all flat chat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> they need some help. They need some help. You think you can help. Yeah, they need on. other people to step in. Yeah. They need other people to step up, to challenge the dominant norm, to write articles, to get your voice out there, to hold your own panel events to support the Male Champions of Change program. The CEO of Tennis Australia, Craig Tiley, talks about every time he's being requested to speak on a panel event now, um, he he asks if a female, leadership, a female in leadership from the organisation can come along too. Sometimes he doesn't hear back from them. But that's one of the things that Male Champions of Change. And, you know, sometimes people may think that, that oh, this doesn't lead to anything, this doesn't lead to change. Uh-uh, you're wrong. This is change. This is how it happens. It's such an important mirror because I think it's those times where we get frustrated and go, oh, there needs to be more females on panels. We need to be more yep. <laughs> female journalists or, you know, hearing them in our radios. But um, 
yeah, I guess what you've, what the plea you've just put out is actually, it starts with your own voice and put that out there and, and, you know, talk that through. Yes, exactly. Um, um, I, so another, sorry. No, the, go, the other, go. so, um, my son came home the other day and he was talking about the fairy tale, fairy tale stories that he's reading. And so as a result of that and talking with a, another um, friend who's in the act of a sphere about what her son's saying, it made me explore whether some of these really modern fairy tales, which are often coming out of America, whether they're actually going into our schools. So I've already organised a meeting to try and address this. Mm. So that's that's activism. Yeah. How simple is something like that? How simple is maybe fun, funding one of these books that talk about, you know, women, uh, little girls no longer being the, the classic princess, little girls being, um, you know, layered and, you know, courageous and brave and not talking about the way they look. How wonderful would that be if that was in every school across our nation? Isn't that just such an important thing that we have to that we have to address and that everybody can address things like that. And it's for our sons as well. They yeah. want to cheer that on. <laughs> you know, I've got a, a son and a daughter, so to be able to see that through that lens. I actually, I, I, you know, interesting you talked about this. I remember doing this when my son was in year two, brought home one of the readers and there was a page in there um, it was a, a young boy running with his granddad, which my son used to do at the time. And so he was kind of into this story, going, oh, you know, into this, um, granddad. And uh, turned over the page and there was a picture of a girl that had passed them. And granddad had said, oh, look, you've just been taken over by a girl. And I, like, I stopped as I was reading it and went, wow, <laughs> here's my son at the age of six, impressionable, already seeing himself it's so subtle and I wrestled all night about do I take this back? Am I going to be that parent who goes, ah? yeah. <laughs> And I really, really wrestled with it and um, I ended up going back and really just having a chat with the teacher and just going, look, I'm not sure if you're even aware I have real concerns about this and she was flawed and had the book removed from the school and it wasn't a big fanfare, it wasn't a big, there wasn't a meeting but it just had to be this really subtle and I just thought I can't be okay with this book going back to another child's home and it's tiny and it's small and all of that isn't really going to change anything came up. But, of course um, it did. Of course it did. Little things. Yeah. So yep. the courage to do that as well. I think I, I just applaud that wholeheartedly and I don't want anyone listening to this to think that any of us have it perfect by any stretch. You know, I do have the child that at one point... Um, said that he he liked a certain girl in class because she was pretty. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, how did this happen? <laughs> Don't you know, know who I am and what I do? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But tell me. She's strong. <laughs> she, I'm <done>. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah. you know, there are so many times that we're going to get it wrong, but don't. I think the idea is that it doesn't matter and that's all part of it. Yes. And it's all part of our collective learning and, you know, I think we have to be so... Um, uh, forgiving of ourselves, um, but then the moments when there is an opportunity to create that little spark of change, how wonderful is that? And be the voice that sits behind it. Yeah. So if I come full circle, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Mm. When you hear that term, what does that mean to you to live a standout life? Mm. To um, frame your life um, when, when you're thinking about 
you know, how you can make a contribution. Um, when you, are, you know, framing your life as a life that your children and grandchildren um, will be proud of, um, when you are able to use, you know, whatever voice you have to propel others and not, not, not just for the bouquets and not just for your own, you know, ego and all the rest of it. A lot of it, you often will find that a lot of it's done and nobody knows what, what's been happening and what you've been doing. Um, so it's just for yourself and for the greater, um, you know, movement of, of people who like to um, try and put some light in the world. Um, it's also a standout life is one where where we live it without judgment because everyone's going through something different at any time. So just because someone might not be be able to um, yeah, be an activist in any capacity in their life, geez, you don't judge them for it. You just you just you, you know support them and. Um, that was the other um, thing that I was thinking of when I was first punching out that the, the first uh, stories for engaging women. I was really, I don't know, I, I think from just being at magistrates courts and things over the years, I was thinking of the women who, I was doing it for the ones who are so busy paying their bills and things that they aren't able to participate in that way at this point in their lives. I was kind of driven by that as well, thinking... Um, there may be someone who happens upon it because they see that sparkly little ball in the corner and, <laughs> and they happen upon it and they might read something that they weren't expecting from one, one of these accomplished women and it might inform a conversation they had with one of their children that might change their life. These tiny little drops in the ocean. Seeds, yeah. 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 Keep planting the seeds and I'll see you when you're 80 on TV. <laughs> I'll be there, sister. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.